Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning! She's back! Yes, after a wonderful holiday week of um, best of shows. I hope you enjoyed them. I always love listening to conversations a second time, um, but I also recognize that it's fun to be together in real time, in real life. So how's it rolling and uh, how's it rolling with you this morning? Love to hear from you. You can always text me, 877-933-2484. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Uh, A friend in the 763 area code, which I have not yet Googled to find out exactly where that is. If anybody knows off the top of their head, uh, you can text me, 877-933-2484. Friend in the 863 area code actually asked uh, a number of days ago, oh, wow, last Monday, how's your calf? Uh, It was on your prayer request list and I'm always reassured that God cares about the animals, um, and that reassured me when you said it. I mean, if he cares about sparrows, he cares about my beloved Pomeranian right now, right? Yes, your beloved Pomeranian and my calf. So uh, here's the good news. Still alive. Still alive. Um, this particular calf's name is Phil. Right now we have four little steer calves. Jeffrey, who we did not name, our neighbors uh, for whom we are ra- raising this particular steer, uh, they named him Jeffrey. He is Black Angus with a little white tip on his tail. He's adorable. He's definitely the most thriving of the four calves. Uh, and then we have Weasley, who is um, red or red-ish and therefore Weasley, um, because <clears throat> our kids, who's technically, it's their calf, uh, John and Beth named this one Weasley. Weasley's doing well. And then we got Slick, and I call him Slick because he... His tongue is always out. He's always licking someone or something. And so Slick the Lick is doing well as is doing well as well. And then there is this <sighs> Phil. Phil. Yes. Formerly Phil A. You know, like Filet. Because that is eventually what he aspires to be. But right now we just want him to thrive, right? We want him to thrive. And he has not been thriving. So uh we have been tending to him day and night for now the last 10 days or so. And I I can attest to this. Last night when I went down to feed him, Phil's doing great. Phil is definitely, um, it's more than on the uphill swing. Uh, I think Phil's doing great. And so there you go. Thank you to God for his graciousness. Thank you to you for your prayers and concern. And yeah, and thank you to our veterinarian and the guys at Tractor Supply and the co-op and on and on and on. Everyone who has been participating in the recovery of this calf. So thanks, everybody. Appreciate that. Our Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9. People with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. So let's talk about integrity and let's talk about walking in integrity today. Um, to walk in integrity 
is to be a person who has an integrated whole or undivided heart and mind and life. So how integrated are you today? How integrated are your thoughts, your words, and your deeds? How integrated is your mind and your heart and your hands? This is about actually living in ways that are aligned with what we say we believe. To, le- to live as if, to be live, to believe is to be a person who lives with integrity. It's actually a whole lot easier for me to describe a person who lacks integrity than to describe a person of integrity. I'll just confess that. A person who lacks integrity is literally disintegrated, and they're sort of easy to recognize, right? Um, yeah, these are people who will say that they love you, and then you recognize that uh, that love is not that love is not undivided. Um, or they'll tell you the truth, but they don't tell you the whole truth, and not only the truth. And they might speak well of you to your face, but then they turn around and they mock you behind your back, and you totally know it. They're duplicitous. They're hypocritical. Um, totally predictable in the fact that they're going to be double dealers. So you can actually trust them to be untrustworthy. Do you know anybody like that? That is a disintegrated person. That is not a person of integrity. Their character is literally crooked, and so are the paths in which they walk. You probably know a person like that. I certainly do. Um, Now, by comparison, a person of integrity is unswerving in their commitment to the truth which can be irritating, I I recognize, totally irritating sometimes, like people who are completely 100% committed to the truth and walking in the way of the truth. Um, Yeah, that can be, that can be frustrating because, you know, we like to rationalize doing things that are not completely aligned with who we know God to be and the ways in which he calls us to walk. So people of integrity not only know what is right, they actually walk in the way of truth. They tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Their thoughts, words, and deeds are consistently aligned. Um, They're quite literally good. They're quite literally good. They walk in paths of righteousness with a clear conscience. They have an unassailable joy. They sleep well. Now, I know a lot of disintegrated people, and I know some people who I would describe as fully integrated. Um. And I think the reason that we have so many disintegrated people is we've been swimming in a culture of syncretism and relativism our entire lives. So we have been taught to go along to get along, to live and let live, to judge and not be judged, none of which, by the way, is biblical. And we've been swimming in this cultural water our whole lives, and, um, you know, and we have blind spots, and I recognize all of that. So this is not a condemnation this morning of the fact that we're not fully integrated. This is a calling and an invitation to today submit willingly to the presence of the Holy Spirit within us that we would be more fully conformed today to the image of Christ, that, that today, by one more degree of glory, we would be conformed to Christ. We would be more fully integrated in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. All right, and the enemy doesn't want that, so let's, uh, let's, let's get equipped this morning. Let's armor up um, against the enemy. Our friend Dave Buring is going to join us next. We are going to talk about our warrior God. God is my warrior. Is God your warrior? He's fighting my battles. Let's talk to Dave Buring next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Dave Buring is back. Dave, good morning. 
Good morning. How are you this morning? Well, I have learned that the 763 area code is in the northwest metro of the Twin Cities. That's the uh-huh. learning I've already done this morning. I know. There uh-huh. you go. I know. But and I like- I'm kind, kind of embarrassed and ashamed that I didn't know it. No, you know, I grew up there and it was 612 and then, you know, it multiplies. <laughs> totally. It's so crazy. I try to keep a list. I try to keep a list. Like, all right, I'm supposed to know that 320-952-763-651-612 and 715 are all the Twin Cities. That's a lot of area codes. I know. It like it multiplied <sighs> from one to many. It's crazy. It's crazy. It is. Um all right, let's uh, let's talk about um, God and whether or not God wars on my behalf. I don't think we. I think we think about God like engaged in warfare against the enemy, which mm-hmm. you know is a victory he's already won. I'm not sure that we always remember, and we're in the midst of like wrestling in times of challenge and difficulty. That like God is my warrior. Can you talk about that? Yeah, and I think it's an important thing for us to remember when. You know, we got stuff going on because sometimes we feel alone in it. We can feel the battle is raging around us. We don't know where to go with it or what to do with it. And I think we do have to remember that God, who is also our father, uh, Jesus, you know, who we knew walked the planet, died, rose from the dead on our behalf. We've got to remember that he fights on our behalf. I, I think, Carmen, for me, one of the ways that I like to look at this is kind of in the backwards approach of like, what is it that has not happened to me? Mm. Like, where mm. has God stepped in and intervened? And I didn't know it. And I mean, that's going to be a great, you and I'll have some popcorn and we'll, we'll watch the re the, you know, the reviews of that in heaven. Hey, look at that, man. I should have been hit by a car there. Or look at that. This person tried to take me out there and God intervened. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that we don't know both in the physical realm and the spiritual realm that may have come our way that God, our warrior, stepped in and intervened. Exodus 15.3, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Um, Isaiah 42.13, the Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout. Yes, he will raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. I think when we... um, these are not the ways that we tend to think about God. And if we do right. think about God in this way, we think of um, God battling the enemy, yeah. the yeah. ultimate enemy. We don't think about God like intervening on our behalf in the day to day. Yeah, that's right. And I and my favorite one is Jeremiah twenty eleven. But the Lord is with me like a dread warrior. I mean, that's mm. what it says dread warrior like that sounds like something from a marvel movie right god is with me like a dread warrior and so i looked it up and and the meaning is this mighty terrifying one the brave one the strong one the mighty one ever terrorizing awe inspiring and this is my favorite undefeated like like we've got to realize that you know, I'm a sports guy, so I've been been involved in football, baseball, basketball my whole life. And, you know, I coached, I played. And when you have an undefeated season, you know, you didn't lose once, not once. And we have to realize that God's undefeated when it comes to warring on our behalf, on behalf of the kingdom of God. And again, for me, it's one of those things I can hang my hat on and be grateful that I have a God that when I feel cruddy today, I don't feel good today, r- rough stuff's happening. It's like, is it ever going to stop? 
that God is my dread warrior. Mm-hmm. I love that. We're going to continue this conversation with Dave Buring in just a moment. Are you in the midst of a battle? Are you wrestling? Are you allowing God to fight for you? Do you recognize that he is undefeated? We're going to continue this conversation, unlocking the wisdom of the ways of God. This is God is my warrior. You can find um, this this conversation and notes related to it at lionshare.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at myfaithradio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. You feel like you're in a battle today? Are you afraid or discouraged? Um, There are challenges before you. I mean, I think that's the reality that we live in. We're talking with Dave Buring about relying on God to be our warrior and upon God to be our strength in the midst of the battles that we engage in each and every day. You can find what we're talking about at lionshare.org. Dave, let's um, let's talk a little bit about David. Maybe one of the stories that some people know, but some people will not be familiar with, is, um, is the story of David and Goliath. Can you take us into 1 Samuel 17, maybe um, at that, that place in the story where, you know, David actually turns the conversation away from, hey, you know, guy against guy, sword against sword, and sort of acknowledges whose battle this really is. Yeah, I I mean, I think that's a great story. And it's, again, another one that in heaven I will enjoy having some popcorn and watching the rerun of, right, on the heavenly DVR. Um, But I you look at David, who at this time is is a young man. He's a shepherd. Dad had asked him to be out in the field to you know, tend the sheep. And, you know, as we learn about David, he's had to take on the lion and the bear that would try to attack the sheep. And, and, uh, and one day, again, it's a great way of learning to of how to walk under authority and to trust those, you know, that God puts over us at times to get us where we're supposed to be. When, when dad comes to him and says, Hey, you know, your brothers are fighting this battle, take some cheese, go to the commanding officers, go see what's going on. And David just shows up. And I think, Carmen, it can be like us in any given day. You're not planning to walk into a battle. And I don't, and, and David, you know, knew he was going to a battle, but to walk into it, but something rose up inside of him. And before you know it, he, he's seeing all his heroes kind of fearful of this huge giant named Goliath, um, who may have been well over eight to nine feet tall, massive man. And, David goes to Saul, the king, and basically says, I volunteer. And of course, there's all kinds of chuckles and mocking from his brothers. And, you know, the the armor doesn't fit because that was the only way they knew how to fight. Instead, David goes and picks up some 
smooth stones because he's used to slinging them in a slingshot. And, you know, and, and you wonder, like, how could a, let's call him a young teenage boy, when his military older brothers and others that are his brother's friends, his heroes are fearful and walking away. And, and David declares this, when he comes to stand face to face with the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear and a javelin. Like, does this big guy really need that much weaponry? Right. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. And, you know, as David slings the slingshot you know that stone lands right in the middle of goliath's head and down he goes david cuts his head off to you know hold it up and remind the 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 army of israel this is done this power is now removed and and i think carmen for us in the middle of these kinds of things when we find ourselves in a battle that we weren't expecting we have to know the word enough to go back to these kinds of moments and to recognize okay god just like a david I didn't expect to walk into a battle today, but thank you that you are going ahead of me and that you will be with me in the midst of it. In my Sunday school class, um, we're working our way through the book of Genesis. And yesterday we arrived at the story of, um, of Jacob and Esau, the portion of the story where, you know, they are going to re-engage with one another. And mm-hmm. Jacob only knows how to how to engage in that one way like he right. just you know he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna divide up his stuff he's gonna try to preserve what he can he's totally anticipating a war he knows his brother's got 400 guys with him that sounds intimidating um and and yet the real battle is this one in the middle of the night where he's wrestling with god of mm-hmm. you know some and that's the way we understand that passage anyway and I do think that the way you have described what David anticipated he was walking into, right? I love that he's delivering cheese because we have a lot of listeners in Wisconsin, <laughs> so they're excited about yeah, that. <laughs> that's right. um, um, you know, it's not what he thought he was walking into. That's that's the reality of day to day life. I mm-hmm. I I know what's on my calendar for you know today and the week ahead. I also recognize that the enemy is scheming. And prowling around and has all kinds of nefarious things uh, that he would like to accomplish. And God has secured those victories in advance. How do I how do I walk into this day and the coming days with that kind of faith and confidence? And I appreciate that you've, you know, you've noted I gotta secure enough of the word of God in me that when the world squeezes me, that's what comes out. But I'm wondering if you could equip us for the battles we don't know we're walking into today. Yeah, I mean, the number one thing for me is when you're in the Word, it's getting to know the character of God. Mm. Because if we don't know God's character in difficult times, we really have, you know, nothing to lean on. And, you know, I always tell people, don't, as you're getting into the Word, just don't stop at getting into the Word. Go all the way into it to learn God's character in it, because that's really the core of what he's trying to reveal to us is his character. And we can get caught up in, you know, goofy theological conversations and our little pet verses. But the thing we got to see is God's character. And for me, it's like I've been in a, a very interesting season with just lots of things, you know, hitting me. And and I've c- come back to that over and over. First, it's recognizing God's character. Secondly, it's knowing, you know, to, to whom do I belong, that I am a son of the Most High God, you're a daughter of the Most High God, and to, 
you know, recognize, okay, this is, this is who I am. And, you know, Carmen, honestly, a lot of it takes, I, I think, humility, an acknowledgement of dependence, because the opposite is trying to push it through in the flesh. And just mm. our own strength, our own effort, our own pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, doggone it, I'm not going to lose, I'm going to win this. And then it becomes a battle against a person. And Ephesians tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. In other words, it's a, it's first a spiritual battle. And so I think for me, it's recognizing God's character, who he is, that he's greater than this, even though my emotions are going wild or my mind is spinning out of control. Secondly, that I am his. And then thirdly, it's, it's putting myself in that place of dependence and saying, okay, God, I'm going to do what you show me to do. I am not going to respond here in the flesh or how I feel like responding. I am setting my heart to be obedient to what the next step is. And sometimes, Carmen, you know, that next step is pray. Sometimes it's pray and fast. Sometimes for me, it's worship and just getting my head out of it and getting my head where it needs to be in the presence of the Lord. And sometimes, and you and I have talked about this here on your show in the past, about ministering in the opposite spirit. Sometimes mm. if you're de dealing with somebody that is angry at you, you know, it's responding the opposite spirit and being more gentle with them and understanding with them. And it, it breaks that anger down. And, and operating the opposite spirit is actually a spiritual warfare tactic. It, it talks in Proverbs, this little verse says, a soft answer turns away wrath. And, and ministering in the opposite spirit is a, is a way that we can um, kind of use a spiritual warfare tactic when we need to. Mm. Yeah, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are fixed on you. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's so good. Uh, when you talk about, that's uh, Jehoshaphat, by the way. It's not Carmen. That's Second uh, Chronicles 2012. I mean, it is Carmen, but it's Jehoshaphat before it's Carmen. <laughs> uh, um, when you talk about flesh and blood, like as soon as you say that, when you talk about um, this, you know, it's not a battle of flesh and blood. I just, my mind immediately goes to the foot of the cross and I'm like, that's where the flesh and blood battle was, was won. And yeah. I'm not going to have another flesh and blood battle. I'm not going to try in my own flesh and by the, you know, by whatever the hot temperature of my own blood is at the moment, I am not going to engage in a flesh and blood battle that Jesus has already won. And, yeah. um, yeah. So gosh, I just, I thank you so much, Dave. We got to leave it right there. Um, that's Dave Buring. You can connect with him and check in on all the things we talked about today. Uh, at lionshare.org. They have a great leadership podcast I would highly recommend to you. Be praying this week for um, Lionshare's got a thing going on this week that I'm going to participate in as well. Um, some leadership games with some next generation vocational leaders. And so to be praying for Dave and for that event as well. Hey, Dave. Um, hey, I'll see you soon, man. I look forward to it. Thank you. Likewise. Likewise. Hey, let's go upwards with Max Lucado. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, good, uh, good question on the text line. You know, how did David end up with so much faith um, when his brothers seem to, you know, be kind of worldly in their approach? I, isn't that how it always is? I mean, they're all, they're all, uh, are they all at the knee of Solomon? Hmm, David and his brothers. All right, I'm gonna have to do a little genealogy on this. But um, yeah, definitely the wisdom of, of Solomon poured into David for sure. All right. Um, yes. And those of you checking back in with me on my area code list, uh, I added 
715 to my Twin Cities area code list. That's actually my northern Wisconsin friends. So there you go. Gosh, you guys are on it this morning. The research department of Mornings with Carmen is on it this morning. You can check in with me as well. Uh, yes, um, the text line is always open, 877-933-2484. You guys are keeping me honest. I really appreciate that. Um, all right, so we're going to talk next with our friend Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. And we're going to talk about recent Supreme Court decisions. We call it SCOTUSmas because at the very end of June, the Supreme Court every year um, you know, issues lots of opinions about cases that we have been watching for a year or more. And so um, we have touched on some of these, but we're going to unpack them with Adam and see if we can spot some trends and find some things to pray about together. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. What is in front of the Supreme Court um, in terms of your religious liberties and your freedom of speech and how you are going to engage in a Christian in the increasingly complex cultural environment in which we find ourselves today. That's up next here on the mornings on the on the mornings with Carmen. How about just mornings with Carmen? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll find my I'll find the rhythm of my voice here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Adam Carrington is joining us, but Adam, I have to do a little cleanup on aisle four before we have our conversation about the Supreme Court. All right. All right. I worked at a grocery store all through high school, so I, I understand that. All right. So, yes, my friends, uh, Carmen is only half awake. Yes, I do know that David is the son of Jesse and the father of Solomon. <laughs> okay, I'm going to let that. I'm just going to let that stand right there for just a moment. And <clears throat> we'll get back to that conversation in a moment. Um, Adam, do you ever just, you know, mistake the family tree and put things, put people in the wrong place? And then you're just like, oh, I can't believe I said that out loud on air in front of so many people. <laughs> well, I guess I don't do it on air, but I, I call my children by the wrong name, by the name of the other one all the time. So I can't really Thank you. say, yeah, so. Uh, I, 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 and, and, and also I, there was a student once who I somehow got his name mixed up, started calling him by a different name. Not only, uh, was it the wrong name, but he was extra offended because it was his father's name and he thought I was confusing him with his father. So yeah, I, I believe me, I, 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 I will not throw stones on that. Uh, uh, oh, thank goodness. All right. Let's talk about the Supreme court of the United States. Uh, it's possible that folks who are listening have heard parts and pieces of some of these, but I thought it would be good for us to do a roundup of of the cases that the Supreme Court recently decided that maybe are um, of greatest interest to and will be most most impactful in the lives of Christians who are listening right now. So if you are a Christian creative, you work in some kind of creative industry where you make something creative in your job, especially specialty items, you're going to be interested in the decision in the 303 creative case. So Adam, what happened here? So that real, this case really starts to resolve a lot of things that were left untouched or undecided in Masterpiece Cake Shop years ago, where you had a, uh, a Christian um cake baker who didn't want to make specialty cakes for same-sex weddings because it it violated his religious beliefs. And the court really didn't 
get to the core questions of what protections people have for their religious beliefs there in that case. This case really does start to resolve a lot of that. And what it said was, interestingly, it did not decide the case on religious liberty grounds directly, uh, not on the free exercise clause of the U.S. Constitution, for example. Instead, it said that uh, the court found that um, the this in this case, a photographer who did not want to do websites for same sex weddings um, was protected by the free speech clause that to make her as some of the laws in the state of Colorado where this case came out to do these websites as part of anti-discrimination laws to make her do those would be to force her to speak and to force her to speak something she doesn't believe. And that's something we sometimes miss with the free speech clause. It's not just that the government can, can't punish you for saying something it doesn't like. It can't make you say something you want to. And I think you set it up well. This isn't a, a victory necessarily for any person in business or any person out in life who might not want to do something uh, related to uh, uh, that violates their religious beliefs in, in this area, uh, particularly matters of, 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 of human sexuality. But uh, for those who are doing very creative things, uh, uh, creating works of art, uh, photography, uh, basically artisans, this case recognizes that those are acts of expression. Those are acts of creative design and that those do have free speech protections, including for religious beliefs. So it's a pretty significant victory for religious liberty, interestingly, coming through the free speech clause rather than the free exercise clause of the U.S. Constitution. So this does not mean that um, a person could refuse to sell T-shirts that are already on the rack to uh, a same-sex couple that walks in to buy a T-shirt in in a given place. It doesn't mean that um, services could be withheld from someone because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. This is about creative work. Am I correct? Exactly. So... I, I said I worked at a grocery store. I, I don't think one could say we're a Christian grocery store. We're not going to serve a certain, you know, atheists or, or as you said, people based on their on their sexuality or their their gender identity. Um, merely because of that, it really is the question. And this is probably where the where we're you're going to have future cases where the court's going to have to uh, sort of clarify things. Where does the court draw the line on what is speech, what is creative expression that therefore has free speech protections and what isn't? And I think the examples that that we're giving are probably pretty clearly outside the scope of this case. Photographers doing wedding uh, um, websites is in. But where will that line be drawn? What will be the the stopping point on that? That's really going to be the question for the court to work out. But that's working out the details. This is saying that there is a robust protection to for the government to not make you say in your work something that you don't believe, that especially that violates your religious beliefs. So uh, I, I, as, even as we're saying what it doesn't do, it's a pretty significant and pretty total victory for religious liberty on the particular grounds that came up before the court.
Okay, there was another, um, you know, question related to religion, and that was a postal worker who um, he took the job with the Postal Service because it did not include work on Sundays, which is a day that he wanted off for his particular religious expression. Um, And then the Postal Service got into a contract with Amazon for Sunday deliveries, and they then compelled people to work on Sunday. And he said, I don't want to be compelled to work on Sunday. So how did that case work itself out? Yeah, and this one was a little less stark in the outcome and a little less clear going forward. It was a victory for the postal worker. I'll start there in that. And in that what the court said is the standard by which the civil rights act of 1964, a landmark piece of legislation, which had said, you can't uh, discriminate against anyone based on their religion and employment Um, There's a case from 1977 that had interpreted what kind of accommodations, therefore, you had to give workers with religious religious scruples about certain things, like working on Sundays. It it, it set the bar really, really low for what employers were obligated to do. It, it, It made it so it was very rare to almost never that an employee could get an exemption under the law if the if the um, employer didn't want to do it. And the court came back and said that standard's been way too low. Uh, it has stacked the get deck against the employee. It has stacked the deck, therefore, against the protections this law had for l- religious liberty. We're sending the case back to be redecided um, uh, and, few, and, well, and saying, well, actually, more just saying, Future cases are going to be decided with a more normal understanding of what a religion, whether a religious accommodation really burdens the business, really is onerous on the business's ability to do its practices. And so I think the way this is going to work out, even though I think it's more fuzzy than 303 LLC, the case we were just talking about, is the 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 courts are going to have to um, give more protection to these religious claims, and I think claims like uh, this man's are going to win in the future in in most instances. But again, the the reason I'm a little more hesitant is they just said uh, you have to really prove that the business is being overly burdened by this religious accommodation, that it's being overwhelmed in a certain sense by that. Um, that's a much better standard for religious workers, but I think there's going to be some play in the joints that's going to need to get worked out as to where that, how extensive that, that comes. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College here in just a moment. We are surveying decisions by the Supreme Court of the United States in its um, latest session. Um, and yes, uh, for the person asking, um, you know, how did Lori Smith even even have standing to bring a case. She was never actually harmed. She wanted to expand her um, her website business. And prior to actually having anyone ever even ask for the kind of website um, that uh, that she might be asked to design, she brought this case. So that, that sort of bringing something before you're harmed by a law, um, the Supreme Court did talk about that. And you could read Neil Gorsuch's um, opinion related to that particular issue, um, if you want to read in fully on that. But yeah, you don't have to wait until a law harms you to actually um, 
to actually bring a case. And that's what happened in this particular case. And the Supreme Court chose to take it up. Um, Yes, those of you asking about pronouns and the new law in Michigan or the new, it's not a law yet, uh, the piece of legislation that passed in Michigan, we might take that up later in the week. We're not going to talk about that specifically today with Adam Carrington, but there you go. You guys are on top of the news and I appreciate it. We are going to discuss um, President Biden's student debt forgiveness plan which the Supreme Court has struck down. And that is going to have significant consequences um, as people will need to begin to plan to begin repaying their debt in October. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Did you know that whatever you're experiencing today, whatever you're going through, the suffering, the challenges, the questions you have, God has something to say to you about all of it? We have an ongoing Reading Through the Bible Together series at MyFaithRadio.com, and we're exploring what God says about suffering, truth, and godliness. We're reading the book of 2 Timothy together. Did you know that God has given not a spirit of fear, but that God has given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind? I mean, how cool is that? It's in 2 Timothy that God's Word says of itself, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that every person um, might be complete and equipped for every good work. So I'm wondering, would you join us in reading the Bible together at MyFaithRadio.com that you might be equipped through God's Word for the good works that He's prepared in advance just for you, and that you might discover that God is with you right now in whatever you're experiencing— the suffering, the challenges, the questions. God's got something to say about all of it. Join us at MyFaithRadio.com in reading the Bible together. Well, there's ominous headlines out there this morning, like warning, student debt cliff ahead. Uh, The decision of the U.S. Supreme Court in relationship to President Biden's student debt forgiveness plan is significant. Um, And so Dr. Adam Carrington is going to brief us in on this decision as well. Sure. And I think the place to start, uh, assuming we we, we know the basics of of the plan, is what the court was deciding and what it wasn't deciding. The court was not deciding the broader debate in the public sphere about whether student loans have been predatory whether there is an obligation or even a good policy to forgive part of them or to cancel part of these debts, whether it makes economic sense, whether it's just and fair to do this uh, relative to taxpayers or relative to those who have already paid theirs off. None of that was before the court. That is something the court clearly said is up for political debate among our representatives and among the American people. What it was deciding was who gets to make this decision politically. And President Biden and his administration said he did under a law from the early 2000s that it gave him statutory authority to do what he did. And what the court came back and said is, no, you, the president, was not given the power under law to make this determination by himself. He violated the rules that Congress had passed by which he could make some minor modifications of current student federal student loan debt, and that therefore this decision needs to be made by Congress. So it really was a question of separation of powers. 
who makes the laws, who enforces the laws. Congress makes them, the president enforces them. There are limits to what a president can do in enforcing. Those limits are put in place by Congress. And this is merely saying that the president tried to write law or go beyond the law and that a decision like this has to be left up to the people's representatives in the legislative branch. So that's what the court was deciding. And the ball is now back in the court of Congress. It's really up to them if they were if something was going to be done about the student debt issue. It's not up to the president to do it in some unilateral fashion. And I think that the you know people who would be uh, maybe critical would say this puts a a burden upon Congress to put such specificity into every law that you know it's going to get bogged down in making any law at all. Um, and so I do think that um, you know there's a conversation going forward. Like how how could you ever write a law sufficiently specific to uh, to anticipate? you know, everything that the future might hold. And we can't. And so that's why we have the Supreme Court, which then um, adjudicates such challenges like the one we're currently in. Right. And I would say that uh, the, the court was saying that the, the law, if you read it, balanced the idea that um, here are the basic rules that the government needs to follow and the, that student debt, people that take on student debt need to follow. And it did give some discretion or leeway to the president to make modifications when emergencies arose, when other situations came up, when there was particular hardship to particular persons. Uh, And so the court recognized that. But the court said, you know, actually, one of the funniest lines, I don't have the case right in front of me right now, but one of the funniest lines of the whole term was Justice Roberts saying um, you know, the president says all he's doing is modifying the law. Well, he's sort of modifying it to the degree the French Revolution modified the French aristocracy, basically eliminating it entirely. And so what this is saying is um, that you can't uh, – uh, that, that, that there is a line where uh, uh, the ability to modify something – isn't the ability to rewrite it wholesale to what you want to do. So I think, is there going to be some play in the joints there? Is there going to be some debate about exactly how that works out? Sure. But um, if it, 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 but the, the argument here was it wasn't even really close. It wasn't one of those close calls mm. that maybe he could, maybe he couldn't. This was a pretty flagrant violating of the terms of the language of the statute is what the court said. All right, we got a couple of minutes to cover affirmative action in education. It's specific to education. It's specific to affirmative action in institutions of higher um, of higher ed. What happened in the affirmative action case? So this was a combination of one public school, University of North Carolina, and whether the Fourteenth Amendment's equal protection clause, saying everyone should have equal protection under the law, was violated if their admissions policies, because they're a state actor, they're a state institution, used race in their admissions policies as an independent factor. And then a private school, Harvard, which receives money from the federal government, uh, can they receive that money and still make similar policies? And the court almost entirely said no, which was a significant shift from its previous decisions. 
Um, they said if you can prove that you were racially discriminated against by that institution, you in particular, you could have redress. Uh, you could make, um, you know, race a, a, maybe a, a sub factor when taking into account the struggles someone has overcome or the leadership someone has shown in their life. But race as an independent factor uh, for admissions to college basically was declared uh, illegal or unconstitutional for these kinds of institutions. So it's a pretty significant uh, declaration. And if enforced, if it, if it continues the way that, that, that the majority was arguing, it really does end, at least in admissions, but probably even in broader policies, having race as an independent factor for um, hiring for government jobs or um, uh, admissions to, to, to colleges. Uh, it probably is going to touch all of those things. So it'll be very interesting to see how that gets worked out and, and how, how that how that plays out. Yeah, I've seen two conversations arise. One about uh, what you just pointed out, like affirmative action in the workplace, how this is going to affect diversity, equity, inclusion efforts by employers. Um, and then legacy admissions. Lots of people already asking, you know, how this dis- decision of the Supreme Court will affect the way colleges and universities use legacy as a pre- preferential factor for admissions. So I do think there's going to be more to this conversation. So Thank you for helping us understand uh, where we are now in this matter. Um, hey, before we talk next time, Adam, I'm I'm I have this on my radar in relationship to what the Supreme Court has decided in this last round because it feels to me this is a feelings conversation now, which I you know it feels to me like the there has been a change in the way the justices address one another in their um, public statements. Uh, particularly the, their written responses to these uh, most recent decisions. Um, and then it feels to me as if there's a has been a change in the way that people in the media talk about the justices um, and the court as politically partisan. Like they just come right out and say, you know, this is a, you know, five, four decision. Then, you know, this group and this group or so, you know, and, and they, and so can we talk about that next time? Like, where maybe you see and sense changes in the way the justices talk to and about one another and the way we in the culture talk about the justices and the decisions of the Supreme Court. Absolutely. I think that is an important conversation and tie it back to what is the role of a court and how should we be judging their decisions, judging the judges in Mm -hmm. Uh, relation not just to our policy preferences or our cultural preferences, but in relation to, although those matter to a degree, but in relation to the Constitution and the law and our own system of government. I think that's an important conversation that often gets, there are a lot of assumptions that need to be examined on that. Yeah, that and that might get us into the ethics conversation, that judging the judges. That that's that'd be a good one. All right, that's Dr. Adam Carrington. You can find him at Hillsdale College. Um, or where this summer? What are you up to this summer? One one fun summer factoid. <laughs> I for the first time ever got to see Lake Michigan, despite living in Michigan. Oh. So went there with the, with the family. So uh did that it's last week. Big as week an ocean, man. Back to work. Yeah. It's big it, as an it, ocean. It, it, there you go. It was great. It was great. Yeah. So ho- hopefully that's that's the vacation spot in the future. That's so fun. It's literally a great lake. All right. That's Dr. Adam Carrington. Uh, this is Mornings with Carmen. And um, producing for us this week is uh, is Ryan. 
And Ryan, I must say that I ran over the break. And so I'm just going to take this to 5745. And then we're going to go to another hour of Mornings with Carmen. You guys stay tuned. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.